Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. Uh, Eric, each of our podcasts together features at least two voices, yours and mine. Uh, depending on who we get as a guest or guests, perhaps three or four voices. But had our timing been just a little bit better, we might have had 14 voices on this podcast, or indeed on our last one. Yeah, we very narrowly missed our window today to record a podcast with 12 baby chicks chirping in the background. <laughs> uh, and if they were here, you know they'd be chirping loud because chicks dig the podcast. That's just a fact. Um, so here's what happened. Uh, a friend of my daughter's went to this farm where they sell you duck eggs or chick eggs and an incubator and all the equipment you need. And they hatch, and you have these little ducklings or chicks for a few days, and then you bring them back. My daughter saw her friend's ducklings, came home, and asked if we could do the same. I said, no, I don't need more work and mess and aggravation in my house <laughs> and my life. She made a freaking PowerPoint presentation explaining why we should have ducks or chicks, and I couldn't say no to that. So we got these 12 chick eggs, uh, and when you and I recorded the Wednesday podcast on Tuesday afternoon, they were just starting to make noise, poking little holes in their eggs. Uh, and the first one hatched just minutes after we finished recording. All 12 hatched over the next 24 hours or so. We went 12 for 12 on hatching and surviving. Uh, and then uh, I spent my Friday morning driving back to this farm to bring them the 12 fluffy little baby chicks. So they're gone before they could chirp it up in the background of the podcast. But uh -huh. it, it was really fun. I'm glad we did it. And I'm waiting to see now if either of my kids loses interest in eating fried chicken after this. Right. So she didn't want to. So she just wanted to do this. She had no interest in actually like raising chickens <laughs> and you having like chickens in the backyard or anything like that. Uh, if that had been an option to keep the chickens and raise, I'm sure she would have had interest. I they would have taken one heck of a PowerPoint presentation to sell me <laughs> on keeping them for more than just a, a few days. Uh Oh. Yeah. See, that's when you get to find out that what you think are 12 hens actually aren't. <laughs> and you, you get a rooster? If one, if you're lucky. Right. <laughs> yeah, they weren't here long enough for me to find out whether there were any roosters among them. They were just making their little peep noises, but you probably would have heard them seeping through my microphone from across the room if they were still here. But uh, alas, they are not. Uh, and, and now... I'm counting on you to uh, take this opportunity to make a smooth transition uh, about all the podcasts we've hatched this week. I'm setting well, what I was going to say is one person <laughs> who didn't want to count his chickens before they hatched <laughs> oh. was Javante Davis. <laughs> wow, who, that's that's uh, much better than what I had in mind. It's, and you really <laughs> stepped on my brilliant, brilliant segue. But <laughs> there you go. That's <laughs> all right. It is the way of things. Um, he stepped very gingerly onto the scale, both before and during his official weigh-in for his fight against Leo Santa Cruz, live on Showtime pay-per-view this Saturday night at 9 Eastern from the Alamodome in San Antonio, Texas. We are recording this, our third podcast of the week, on Friday afternoon, just after the conclusion of that weigh-in. Uh, our predictions and our final preview thoughts for the four-fight card are coming up. But first, uh, let's talk about what we did see on the scales. And, well, we were worried that one of the fighters would miss weight, and indeed one did. But 
it wasn't Javante Davis. It was Regis Progre, uh, stepping on the scale at 141.6 pounds for his junior welterweight bout against Juan Araldez, which Jimmy Lennon Jr. very nicely rounded down to 141.5. Araldez tipping the scales at 139.6. It's a non-title fight, so the contract almost certainly stipulated it'd be 140, give or take a pound. Uh, So Progre went away... Presumably to lose a half a pound, uh, we understand that Araldas' team is insistent that he at least tries mm. to lose some weight. Um, at the time that we're recording this, we don't know for certain whether he will have succeeded in doing that. Should be able to lose seven or eight ounces unless he's completely dry. Um, but if he is just completely dry and unable to do anything, uh, it's safe to assume, I think, that the fight will go ahead with the exchange of some money to compensate. Um, Progray had already been talking about moving up to 147 after this. Uh, so at 31, this seems less likely to be a case of Rougarou not doing his work, maybe more of a sign that his body just can't easily make that weight anymore. Uh, that being the case, if we can correctly infer that, do you think we should be on the lookout for any kind of uh, effects uh, during the fight? New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, no, I wouldn't think so. I mean, it, it depends how much he has to get down from here. And again, as we're recording this, we don't know quite what they're deciding on and quite what his final weight ends up being. If he does just have to lose roughly half a pound, I wouldn't think that that's going to show itself in the fight. If he has to lose a pound and a half, maybe, because yeah, what Keith Eidek tweeted uh, shortly before we started recording is that Progre still would have to pay Araldez money from his purse if he doesn't weigh in at 140 pounds or less on his second attempt. So it's almost like, you know, there's maybe different levels to it. Try to lose some weight, get right. down to 141. It's a little bit of money, uh, and, we're, and we'll go ahead with the fight. If it's 140, it's even more money. As you suggested there, I can't imagine we're not going to have a fight, uh, whatever the final weight for Progre is. It, it will go ahead. Uh, they're not going to scrap it over a half pound or so. But yeah, how much he has to lose from now to uh, until the second weigh-in is, uh, could make a difference in terms of whether he's a little drained or not. Uh, when we get to our predictions, uh, I will be noting that this looked prior to the weigh-in like probably the least competitive fight on the card. So if this makes it a little more competitive, uh, that, that could be a good thing. That one question that I had just watching the weigh-in go down was if he only did lose, need to lose six-tenths of a pound, couldn't he have ditched the underwear, the socks, the mask, and, and used the curtain, right. as we saw, uh, <laughs> jumping ahead a bit here, but as we saw Gervonta use later. Uh, I For a half pound, I think that those things might have done it. For a pound and a half, certainly they wouldn't. So uh, I, I'm guessing he is making some effort to lose the pound and a half. But uh, after people listen to this, uh, they will know more about exactly how that situation resolved itself. 
Indeed. Uh, no issues in the opener. Uh, a lightweight contest, a veteran Diego Magdaleno weighing in at 134.8. And I thought it was Isaac Cruz, but according to Jimmy Lona, it's Isak Cruz. Yes, um, that too, yeah. uh, weighing in at 132, well inside the 135-pound lightweight limit. Obviously, Cruz is the smaller and shorter guy. We knew that anyway. But I looked at BoxTrek right afterwards, and that is the lightest weight they have recorded for him at any point in his professional career. So mm. that suggests it's not just the case of him being undersized, that it's probably intentional. Um do you think there's anything to read into that? And, and also, how, what did you think of how Magdaleno looks? I, I thought he looked like he had the kind of body you'd really want to have if you were laying out on the beach, but it didn't necessarily <laughs> look like a great boxer's physique. Yeah, he had a bit of that, what I used to call uh, during Andre Berto's prime, the muscle gut. Uh, he he kind of had that. It was like there were abs, there was a six-pack of abs there, but they it wasn't like skinny abs exactly. Right. There was a certain slight bloat to it. Um, but, you know, that might just be kind of aging, the fact that he's into mm-hmm. his, his 30s now. Um, I wasn't really thinking too much about what to read into Cruz's weight, whether he was intentionally trying to be a little lighter and leaner. I don't, it's possible that his goal is being the absolute sickest shape of your life so you can just work, work, work all fight long. Um, I do think this is an interesting kind of test case right off the bat on the card of how much a couple of pounds matters. We discussed mm. on some of our preview pods the uh, with with the main event, you know, the size difference, does size matter? How much does size matter? And so forth. This is a little bit of a test case there as Cruz clearly is the slightly smaller man here. But uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to see whether that impacts the fight in some way, whether he's giving up a little strength to have a little more speed and endurance. Um, or if it's just... He had a slightly different kind of training camp, trained a little differently, tr- trained a little harder than usual somehow, and uh, and and came in a little lighter. Or did they were they working off of scales that were calibrated a little differently? And he thought Possibly. he was just uh, he, he had to to get down a little farther, but uh, it turned out uh, he, he came in three pounds under. I'm not sure. Um, that it'll be interesting to see whether this has uh, any bearing on what happens in the ring. Uh, and the other thing that I'm just a little curious to see is uh, there was a pretty significant beard poking out from under Diego Magdaleno's mask. Um, I wonder if he will be made to trim that at all before the fight. Mm, indeed. Uh, both Mario Barrios and Ryan Carl making 140 uh, for their junior welterweight meeting. Uh, Barrios a half pound under, Carl right on the way. It's the first time that Carl's been at that weight. He's always fought above that beforehand. But I thought he and Barrios both looked pretty solid and strong. Yeah, I have the fewest notes jotted down for yeah. this one. They both made weight. They both looked good. My only note, uh, and this harkens back to you having mentioned uh, Magdaleno's beach body earlier, is that uh, Carl looks like he's spent about as much time in the sun lately as I have. That is, <laughs> that is one chalky white fellow. All right, so that brings us to the main event. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Davis apparently came out on stage uh, before the weigh-in and behind a banner, stepped gingerly on the scales uh, to see what he weighed. Uh, the banner came up again for the official weigh-in. So he's clearly concerned, but he made it. Um, yeah. Given that, as we've discussed before, there was plenty of skepticism that he would even try to make 130, would blow it off to make 135. Uh, the fact that he came in at 129.8 probably counts as a win for Tank. Yes, uh, how did you think he looked? Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. 
This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, he didn't look so great right before he got on the scale in the sense that he looked anxious to get on the scale. Mm -hmm. You could tell he was like ready to get this over with. Uh, but, you know, yeah, he used the curtain. He made it with a couple of tenths of a pound to spare. So maybe he didn't even need the curtain. I'm not sure. But didn't look like he was on the verge of passing out or anything like that. Nope. So uh, that's really the best case scenario. The best we could have asked for is that he makes weight on the first try. No obvious evidence that he killed himself to get there. So, uh, yes, a, a very successful weigh-in for Gervonta Davis. Really, all, all that you could have asked for. Is he actually drained and feeling some effects that we don't know about? Possibly. But from what, what I could see, uh, he looked like the same lively Gervonta Davis that, that we've always seen. And conversely, you know, Santa Cruz coming up and wait, you know, we said in the our midweek preview podcast, this almost certainly wasn't going to be a case of uh, Santa Cruz just packing on pounds the way Juan Manuel Marquez did against Floyd Mayweather. And indeed, it looked like he sculpted himself up uh, to one and what, what was he just just under 129.6, I think. Right. 129 uh, and a half at least was when Jimmy half. Lennon read it as. Yeah. Yeah. It looked like he did that very well and very solidly looked in very good shape. Yeah, uh, looked looked like he settled into the weight nicely to me. Didn't look like a severely undersized 130-pounder. Uh, and it was interesting also that the uh, the heights were just about evened out because I think Gervonta was borrowing his slippers from the Spice Girls. And, uh, they, those were some serious <laughs> lifts that he had going on there to try to get uh, closer to eye level with uh, Santa Cruz. Although, of course, uh, the whole... Being uh, eye to eye matters right. a lot less when we talked about this last time when the stare downs are socially distanced. Uh, it doesn't doesn't work quite as well. But uh, he, d he did seem to be giving himself a little extra height with those uh, slippers he was wearing. <laughs> OK, uh, so that covers the weigh in. Uh, one last thing before we make our predictions for the fights, we want to remind you that you can make your predictions and try to win your share of five thousand dollars in prizes with the DraftKings Showtime Boxing Pick'em. Just go to DraftKings.com slash Showtime. It's free to play. You just predict the winners and methods of victories and a few other prop bet type questions for all four fights. And the top five finishers split $5,000 and each win a Showtime Boxing swag bag. And when you take the swag out, it's perfect for toting 12 baby chicks around town in. <laughs> Again, go to DraftKings.com slash Showtime to enter. Uh, now it is time to make our picks. Things have not gone well for you, Kieran, since the last time we made our picks on a post-weigh-in podcast. You had a small lead at that time, but I've surged ahead 52 to 43. And while there are still several Showtime boxing cards remaining on the calendar, advanced analytics suggest you need to start making up some ground this weekend. And you pick first in the opening bout, Magdaleno versus Cruz. Well, Magdaleno has been, at worst, around the fringes of contendership for some time. Uh, he first fought for a world title back in 2013. He dropped a split decision then to Rocky Martinez. But in 2015, he tried again and he was wiped out in a couple rounds by Terry Flanagan. Uh, he took some time off after that to figure out where he wanted to go and what he wanted to do before electing to return to the ring. And he's won four or five since then. Uh, his only loss, though, was a bad battering at the fists of Teofimo Lopez. And again, after that, he took time out. He was urged by his team to retire. But he came back again and has gone 1-0 since then. Uh, he's fought a much higher caliber than Cruz. 
um, whom we last saw outpointing Thomas Matisse on Showbox in February. It's a big step up for Cruz. Uh, if he's going to win, he's going to do so by sliding underneath Magdaleno's jab, working away inside, you know, and maybe if he has deliberately come in a little bit like that speaks to that strategy that he wants to just be able to work his way inside and just, as you said, just work, 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 which is really his, uh, his MO. Um, Magdalena's got only just that little bit of height on Cruz, but he does have a bit of reach. He'll try to use that reach to keep Cruz at bay, but... You know, Magdalene's a pretty good uh, body puncher, but I think he might have a hard time landing those body punches against Cruz, who's not only a bit shorter, but makes himself shorter still. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that Magdalena's been around a while, that he's twice half-stepped away, that he's talking about not being in boxing too long, it all makes me wonder if he'll still have the desire and drive to keep Cruz off if the shorter man is able to get inside which after a couple of rounds, I suspect he will. I think this is going to be a fun fight. I think it's going to be an exciting fight. Um, Magdalena will know it's his last chance, probably. If he loses this, I suspect he probably will step away. It could be a step too far for Cruz, but I don't think the 2020 Diego Magdaleno is anything like the 2013 or 2015 one. I think Cruz on the way up is going to cross a Magdaleno on the way down. Magdaleno takes an early lead, but Cruz overhauls him down the stretch. And he takes a unanimous decision win. Okay. Uh, Not the exact same pick, but we did have a lot of the same thoughts about what the key factors are in this fight and how it could play out stylistically. Um, I I said it on Wednesday's pod, and I'll say it again. I I stand by it after reviewing more video. This is the most fan-friendly fight on the undercard. Mm -hmm. I see this as pretty much a can't-miss style matchup and a fight that, it's just hard to see it being one-sided in either direction. I'd expect something very close, back and forth, close rounds, swings of momentum. And I think if it was Cruz right now against the prime Magdaleno you referenced of 2015, 2013, mm-hmm. something like that, it would be fairly easy to pick Magdaleno. Uh, no. Not a blowout, but you know he would be a clear favorite at least. In 2020, there is no clear favorite to me. In his last fight against uh, Recky Dulay, Magdaleno fought as a pressure fighter. I wouldn't recommend that here. An inside right. slugfest is just what Cruz wants. Magdaleno is a southpaw. He isn't the taller, longer guy very often, but here he is. You mentioned he at least has that reach advantage. He should want to box a little. I just don't really see that happening, even if he wants to. They don't call Cruz Pitbull for nothing. Right. He's 22 years old. He's getting better with every fight. So here's how I see this playing out. Magdaleno does well early, some boxing, some countering of Cruz's wild punches. But Cruz starts getting to him by the middle rounds. And just like you, I was wondering what happens in his brain if it starts getting rough for Magdaleno. Mm. He's working in real estate now, says he doesn't want to box much longer. He was urged to retire after the loss to Teofimo. If it gets tough in there, isn't he a perfect candidate to pack it in? Uh, so let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. I kind of think Cruz takes over around the 6th or 7th, and I will differ from your prediction by saying that the fight gets stopped in round nine, KO nine mm. for Cruz. Uh, next up is Progre Araldez. As I said during our weigh-in discussion, this is the easiest fight to pick on the card, regardless of the weigh-in adventure, because Progre is that good. He's a, a championship-level guy. 
And from what I've seen of Aroldes, he isn't quite. He's a good boxer, quick, slick, knows what he's doing in there, but I just don't see him being able to keep up with Progray's moves. And Progray, of course, is a southpaw, making it that much tougher for Aroldes, who's faced one lefty in the last five years. So this is a fairly easy pick here for me. I'm saying Progray by unanimous decision, maybe shutout. Um, I'd love to see him make it quick and exciting with a knockout, but I kind of think Araldez can last the distance here. Uh, but uh, enough about the fight. The real notable story here is that Progray's wife is pregnant and yeah. due on the night of the fight, and she's letting him fight. Uh, I, I wonder, is there any chance that could be a distraction for Progray? You know, Araldez needs something to distract Progray in right. order to have a chance. It's not impossible that Progray's mind is on his wife and the baby daughter coming any minute now. Either, you know, he'll miss the birth. It could be happening as we're recording this podcast, or he'll be thinking about getting the hell out of San Antonio as fast as he can and back home to be there for the birth. It is their third kid. That surely helps us understand why uh, Mrs. Progray is allowing him to go to work. Um, And I'll just throw in a quick fun fact here. His second child was named Khaleesi. Uh, now let's, let's wow. hope he, let's hope he makes the move across the street as Raskin and Mulvaney did and names <laughs> this one after a Showtime character. I'm thinking maybe Morgan after Dexter Morgan, <laughs> since it's a girl, uh, or Carrie Matheson Progray. I'm just spitballing here, throwing a few ideas out there. Uh, that was back a couple of years ago when naming your kid Khaleesi seemed like such a great <laughs> thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might they might have some regrets. No no big, no spoilers on the ending, but uh, yeah. yeah, they might have some regrets. Might do, might do. I mean, you all know far better than 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 I the the difference from the first kid to the second, and you know, and then in this case the third. Uh, but I, I suspect that you know boxers are just have that amazing ability to compartmentalize so much that unless right. you were actually ringside and going into labor in between rounds, <laughs> they had, I think he, I assume that they've, they've made that decision a while back and he went into camp knowing how it is. And right. it's an incredible ability to do it. But um, yeah, look, uh, like you, look, I, I felt like going in the only reason you, anyone might think, Oh, is this a tough fight to pick is if you really ding pro gray for his loss against uh, uh, Josh Taylor. And you really shouldn't. Right. Um, Taylor's the cream of the crop at 140 right now, and he just eats past Progray in many ways. Uh, yeah, what I had, very similar to you in my notes here, Araldez is a perfectly good B, B-plus level boxer, but he's not on Progray's level. He's less busy. He's less accurate. Uh, he's a relatively economical boxer, whereas Progray is a busier, more aggressive um, boxer puncher. Progray just has that extra level to him. And I did make, even before the weigh-in, a note that the only question I would have was how comfortably Progray made 140 um, because of the conversations he'd been having about just this being his last one at the weight and wanting to move up um and the only question for me was uh, whether this would be by decision or stoppage and and even before looking at the way and i think it would have solidified it for me look nine of his last 10 wins pro gray have been inside the distance but even though Heraldez has been down before I, I just think he's got that kind of look of somebody who's able to hang in there and yeah. last the distance he's awkward he moves um, I, I, I think Progray will land a lot of punches on him. I don't think he'll land any really concussive or conclusive punches on him. I also have Progray winning this one here by unanimous decision. All right. Barrios Carl was a bit of a tricky pick for me. Um, haven't seen too much of Carl. From what I've seen, he appears to be quite a tidy boxer, actually. Quite nice and compact. Good balance. Uh, lovely lead right hand. Kind of fun fighter to watch. Um Barrios has been spoken of as a prospect slash contender for a short while now. Um, but 
as you mentioned on the midweek podcast, he nearly came a cropper last time out against Batir Ahmedov. Um, but as I recall you saying when we reviewed that fight, by scoring that last round knockdown, he steered conversation away from what would have been a nasty conversation about bad scorecards. Yeah. Um, the, the, that he at least sort of put something of an exclamation point on his win. If you do drop your guy twice, and especially if you drop him in the final round, it's harder to argue that you've gotten a gift. So, you know, Barrios does have that ability in, in his locker. Like I said, from what I've seen of him, which isn't a lot, Carl is quite a fun fighter to watch. But I don't know if he quite has what it takes at this level. He has been stopped twice, although he did avenge one of those losses. I also suspect his aggression could work a little bit against him here. He has, you know, Akhmadov also, once he got going, really gave Barrios a hard time with his aggression. But I don't know that Carl has that same kind of, you know, overwhelming, really suffocating aggression that Akhmadov did. I don't know that he has quite that same ability to impose himself. I think he'll be an irritant to Barrios for quite a while, and he might be really difficult. But I also suspect that this might be a case where his aggression ends up working against him. And I wouldn't be surprised to see in a fight in which Barrios is ahead, but having perhaps a harder time than he would want, he suddenly finds an uppercut out of nowhere as Carl is coming forward and drops him and brings a very sudden and, and non-telegraphed end to this fight in about round eight. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that you mentioned that, that Akhmadov fight. And even though, you know, maybe Barrios got a little lucky to get that draw... I don't think it was really any sort of a, a significant sign about his prospects or a, a huge blow to his credentials. He, he's still clearly a very good prospect slash contender slash title holder. Um, it, you know, the, the way that it turned out raised a few more questions, perhaps, but I nevertheless certainly consider him a solid favorite in this fight. I was actually ringside for some of uh, Cowboy Carl's early mm. fights. Um, he, they were on some uh, PBC on NBC undercards. We went to Texas a couple of times and he fought on those shows. He was a serviceable prospect. I never really saw signs that he was going to do well when he got near the top level. And indeed, he's he's stumbled. He's gotten stopped twice. And I think Barrios is the biggest talent he's fought yet, uh, better than the two fighters who defeated Carl. So that makes this a fairly easy pick for me. Uh, Carl has a, a decent jab. You talked about, you know, good, solid, compact boxer. He has the edge in reach. Uh, might be able to hold his own for a few rounds behind that jab, but... I expect Barrios to get to him sooner rather than later. Carl throws a lot of punches, and that figures to work against him and get him caught. So I, too, will say Barrios by stoppage, but I'll say a little quicker than you. I'll say TKO in the fifth. And now on to the main event. And I purposefully waited until after the weigh-in before making any final decisions on this one. Um, you know, I, I rode a bit of a roller coaster here with this fight, as I know you did. Yep. When it was first signed, Davis jumped out at me as the obvious favorite. As it got closer, even without Freddie Roach in my ear uh, steering me, <laughs> I kept finding myself picturing ways that Santa Cruz wins. Uh, the punch stats certainly helped push me in that direction. Leo is so much busier than Gervonta. It's 85.1 punches thrown per round to 38.7. So yeah. in rounds in which Gervonta doesn't hurt Santa Cruz or, or lands some big eye-catching power shot, I would expect Santa Cruz to win those other rounds on the scorecards. So there is very much a path to Santa Cruz winning a decision. 
And that is the one bet I've placed on the fight so far. I got seven to one on Leo specifically by decision. And I figure mm. if he's going to win, it's almost definitely going right. to be by decision. So I did put a little money on that. And and that is one pick I considered making for my official pick. I also considered the quickie for Davis, you know, picturing something like Oscar De La Hoya versus Rafael Ruelas, you know, the the young, mm-hmm. explosive up and comer lands big against the the veteran who's never been cracked quite like that before. And it's a blowout. Uh, you know, that was a, a KO too. I could see something like that happening in the first three rounds here, but more likely, I think Gervonta will do some damage early, but I think Leo survives it. And then the fight is on as he starts out hustling Davis. Davis might question himself a little after failing to finish Leo early. It starts getting really interesting and then as we hit the mid to late rounds, I think Gervonta hurts him again. And the second time a bomb lands, Santa Cruz isn't so fresh anymore and it isn't so easy to recover. So I think maybe with Santa Cruz slightly ahead on points, it will be Gervonta Davis by stoppage in round nine. Um, yeah. It's a tough one. That, does, does that pause indicate that you have the exact same thing and are contemplating whether to change it a bit? No, it's oh, very okay. close. Okay. Very close, though. Okay. Um, and, and a very similar pattern uh, of the fight. Yeah, look, hmm. I, I also found it a tough one, which, like yourself, I didn't expect it to be uh, uh, when it was first discussed. And um, up until this point, you know, and you touched on this, so little of the discussion until the weigh-in focused on the contrasting styles on Santa Cruz's work rate and volume punching against Davis's efficient, you know, heavy punching. It was all about how Santa Cruz is he going to be able to bulk up to the weight? Is Davis going to be able to make that weight? Now that both have done that, we can refocus again, uh, uh, as you just did, on what each guy brings to the table here. I still feel like we know more about Santa Cruz than we do about Tank Davis. I still mm. feel like we're trying to get a sense of how good Davis is. You know, like Mayweather promotions are pushing him as the next big star. But is he? I mean, he has a following. But can he put together a consistent run at the very top uh, against the very top opposition? We don't yet know that. We've seen bits and pieces to suggest he can. I still don't know that I've seen him put everything together uh, in a fight against a really top opponent. Um I actually got to a point like yourself where I was tempted to pick the veteran here, and it would have been on points as well, um, which at the outset of all of this, I would have thought was a ridiculous pick. I think he might be a better fighter than Davis. I think Mm -hmm. he's a better boxer for sure. I agree very similarly. I think Davis might come out trying to put a hurting on Santa Cruz, but then very early on and be really surprised by the fact that Santa Cruz is not only there, but he's firing back with some really good straight punches. And Santa Cruz has shown an ability to, to adapt a little bit. He might not be quite the in-close swarming fighter that Davis is anticipating. He might have a couple of little wrinkles there. And like you said, I think Davis might find himself a bit surprised by that and do a little bit of thinking. But I do think it'll be a case exactly as, as you said. I think that Santa Cruz wins the rounds that Davis doesn't land the big punches. But in a few rounds, he does do that. I think there's going to be a slightly different ending, though. Okay. I think it's going to be a bit anticlimactic because Santa Cruz is going to get cut. Mm. I think from a Davis punch, Santa Cruz has gotten cut before, couldn't quite nastily from both punches and headbutts against our friend Abner Mares. I think one of those punches is going to open him up. Um, they're going to try their very best uh, uh, to stop it from bleeding, but they're not going to be able to. And I, like you, I think that it's going to be very, very close on the scorecards at the time it gets stopped. It's going to get stopped, I think, around eight. Okay. Santa Cruz will feel aggrieved. 
Davis will feel relieved. They'll each feel that they've made the point they needed to, and they'll go their separate ways. And if it is anywhere close to ending in Davis's favor during the eighth round heading into the ninth, you and I will have a very exciting sweat on our hands. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. As, as excited as we can be at approximately 1.30 a.m. <laughs> I'm, I'm rooting for a little earlier than that. We'll see how many knockouts we get on the undercard. Exactly. All right. That will do it for another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Thank you very much for listening to all our podcasts this week. Uh, a couple of quick reminders. If you haven't yet checked out All Access, uh, Davis versus Santa Cruz, uh, both episodes of that are available on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel. A reminder also to go to DraftKings.com slash Showtime to enter the Pick'em Contest. And finally, the reminder that you can watch this entire card this Saturday only on Showtime Pay-Per-View, beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We will be back on Monday morning with our post-fight analysis. Until then, enjoy the fights. Thank you for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. 